It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. It's hard to believe, but we are now in year three of the COVID pandemic. And each week during the past two years, We have made COVID the centerpiece of this program as we work to give you the most up-to-date and objective information regarding the state of the pandemic in Benton and Franklin counties. As we take the air today, the story continues to be Omicron, the latest variant to establish a foothold in our region. And while it does not appear to be as severe as last year's Delta surge, it is highly contagious, and that is what's causing yet another strain on our health care system. And for hospitals like Cadillac here in the Tri-Cities, That strain is most heavily felt in the areas of staffing as caregivers are getting infected or need to be away from work as someone in their household gets the virus. Today we'll visit with the head of the Cadillac Emergency Departments to find out how we can all help ease the strain on ERs and the hospitals and the rest of the healthcare system. But first we check in with Heather Hill, the Communicable Disease Program Manager with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, to begin tonight, maybe just an update on where the case count numbers are. Are we seeing the highest numbers that we have seen during this pandemic? Unfortunately, you're right, Jim. This week we hit, let's see, Benton County is at 3,010 per 100,000 over 14 days. And Franklin County is 3,883. And, you know, we looked even a week ago, um, we were much lower than that. We thought that was really high. And here we are a week later seeing the numbers continue to increase. Um, I wish we knew how they were going to look next week. But um, if we continue the direction we are, my gut feeling is they'll be even higher. But I think it's also important to understand that those are certainly um, not taking into account all of those uh, home tests, the, the rapid antigen tests that people are doing at home and they don't necessarily report them to our reporting line. And it also doesn't take into account that there's a lot of people who, you know, I got sick, I had the symptoms of COVID, I just stayed home, took care of myself, never did go get tested. So we know that the the numbers that we produce certainly are interesting to look at, but we also know that the actual amount of COVID in our community is probably significantly higher. And then we look at our our positivity rates at the two test centers with CBC West, um, they're at a 47% positivity rate and processed well over 13,000 tests in the last 14 days. That is a huge number of tests, but it's such a good service to the community as people are really wanting to get that information. And then the um, walk-in site in Richland, they completed over 4,100 tests in the last 14 days with a 45% positivity rate. And yes, all the hospitals are noticing an increase in admissions due to COVID. So yeah, Omicron may not act as severe in the body, but when you get this huge number of people getting infected, we are still going to see people who catch it that will not have a good outcome, especially those people who are not vaccinated, haven't been boosted, really haven't worked to get their immunity as good as possible before they actually get infected. We know that getting vaccinated, getting boosted is your best protection. If you are to catch COVID, it's your best protection from preventing hospitalization and and death. 
So, you know, again, numbers are not looking good. They're very, very high. So we know that it's very widespread in our community. So testing home or the community test sites is advisable if if you're uh, wanting to gather, if you think you might have been exposed. What's a, If you would just, if someone say, if for example, I test positive, what should I do? Should I isolate for five days? What are the next steps? And then impact if I have kids in school, what what happens sure. then? You know, if you're if you're testing positive, you need to stay at home and quarantine yourself as best as possible. We understand that can be difficult in a family environment, but then we look at make sure that you let your your coworkers, your friends, your family members, those individuals that you've been around, let them know, especially those that you were around during your contagious time, which could be two days before you actually have symptoms. Let them know that you tested positive. Um, we've added a lot of shame to testing positive. It's, it, it's unfortunate, but I think we need to get away from that and know that people are going to get sick. They're going to catch COVID. And the right thing to do, just like if you caught the flu or, or a regular cold, let your friends know, you know, I came down with this after we were together. So just you be careful. And then if, if you do have children at home, they can continue to go to school, but they need to do testing. And that's the important thing is is they need to continue to test as long as they're staying, um, keeping their masks on, using all those protective measures. But they're really not cleared as not likely to be infected until it's been five days after that person in their household actually gets through their quarantine period of time. So that child could essentially be kind of being watched for about 10 days after exposure to a family member because of the continued exposure to that family member in that living environment. Just a few minutes left with you tonight. Uh, So the group most at risk now seems to be, is it the unvaccinated and uninfected? And I guess are we at a point where between vaccinated and those who are infected, we're potentially nearing herd immunity and perhaps approaching the end of this? or, Or is that too optimistic? important to understand that we are not likely to reach what what really is herd immunity and what herd immunity means that new infections are very minimal such as with other vaccine preventable diseases that we've we've acquired with smallpox and polio vaccines you know we've acquired herd immunity with those situations and and we were able to eradicate those here in the U.S. We're not likely to get there with with, um, COVID. We're more likely to what we hear talked about is as herd resistance. And that means the infections are gonna continue, but almost everybody at some point is gonna have some level of that defense to this organism from either getting vaccinated, prior infection, or both for some people. And what we'll find is we will start to have less severe disease. But again, that's as long as we don't see a sudden change in the variant where it becomes much more severe. You don't have some cross protection from vaccine or disease to the new variant that comes along. So if everything stayed the way it is right now with our current variants that have come through, we're more likely to just see our population, our community, continue to see um, COVID in our community. But when we do catch it, it won't be as lethal, it won't be as devastating as when we didn't have that immunity from previous infection and um, vaccination. 
I've heard because the Omicron is so contagious, there's conflicting advice on masks, but you're still uh, urging people to wear masks, and I'm guessing that's primarily to protect those that are most vulnerable that uh, you want to be around if uh, you want to interact with loved ones? Right. There is so much very strong, peer-reviewed, scientific well-studied, well-documented evidence that masks do work because they catch what's coming out of your nose and mouth actually in the fibers of that mask so that it can't go to somebody else. And that's why we continue to really stress the importance of masks. We see them used um, in many cultures, even before COVID, when a person would feel a little under the weather Put a mask on just to protect those around you. And I, I really hope that it becomes part of our respiratory hygiene practices as a nation so that even once COVID is long gone during flu season or cold season, if you've got a runny nose, if you've got the flu and you're around people, you really need to put a mask on to help protect those around you. And we've learned a lot about mask use and how good they protect. And we need to not forget the lessons learned during COVID. If you would, just maybe take 30 seconds to sum you up. We only have you for one segment tonight, but uh, just uh, sum up where you are at this point and and your take on where we stand. You know, I I think we still, unfortunately, have a little ways to go, especially with Omicron. I think the next month is going to be very telling. And then we do continue to watch some of the other variants that now and again crop up, and, and we are keeping an eye on those we're not able to really predict. Um, what is going to happen with variants in the future. But as a health district, we are certainly keeping our eyes on all of that data about what kind of variants might be coming our way, and and we just need to continue to be vigilant. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for your time. We'll talk again next week with you. Uh, We'll talk more on the rest of the program. Next comes up with the head of the emergency department at Catholic Regional Medical Center. We'll talk to Dr. John Matheson right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic On Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. You know, area hospitals are being hardest hit by Omicron in their workforces. High numbers of staff are taken off work due to infections of their own or to someone in their household. And one area of the hospital we're asking you to avoid, unless it's an absolute emergency, is the emergency department. Back to the phones, we go to Dr. John Matheson. He's the medical director of the Catholic Emergency Departments, both on the hospital campus in Richland and at the freestanding emergency room in Kennewick. Dr. Matheson, what's the current state in the Catholic ERs and your major area of concern as we talk today? Well, first, thanks for having me again, Jim. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. You're welcome. Our, uh, yeah, let me know. what you know, what's, is, the, what's the story? The story, it is, you know, it, it is challenging. And everybody's struggling. It's not like we're, uh, you know, worse off than, than others. But right now, our emergency departments are taxed. They're stretched uh, to their limits. We are seeing a number of patients with COVID, but we're also needing to manage other conditions and people with other other issues. We uh, we know that there, there are challenges with staffing, as you mentioned, 
this this virus is not just hitting uh, the the general public; it is hitting healthcare workers. And if uh, if nurses or physicians or other staff get infected, or if their family members are affected, often it means that they can't work. That leads to some staffing shortages. That leads to uh, not enough people to uh, keep all of our rooms open all of the time. And so when we don't have, when we have the combination of more sick people and those people being sicker than normal and having stretched staff, uh, often we, we end up with a situation we talk about we call boarding, uh, which means patients who are admitted to the hospital are getting care, but we don't have the room upstairs available for them. And so they're being cared for in the emergency department. It gives fewer rooms to, to take care of the people who are coming in, and so that can lead to longer waits in the waiting room, and and even challenges getting uh, ambulance patients in beds and so forth. We we absolutely are doing our best. I think we're taking very good care of of the public, um, and we want to be that resource. We want to be there to take care of people in their time of need, and especially when they have an emergency. What we're asking right now is to really critically. Uh, think about it and look and say, is this an emergency or is this a convenience? And uh, if you have another option, if you're not significantly ill um, and you can go somewhere else, um, we would ask that you, that you do so and keep these, this space available for the emergency. But if you think you are having an emergency, we certainly don't want to discourage you from coming in. One thing that I'd like to have you address as well, one with Omicron, I know they've started to track the number of patients that come to the hospital as COVID is their primary reason for admission. And then obviously every hospital patient that comes in gets tested. And so some of those patients are testing positive upon admission, but that's not why they're there for health care. But talk about, regardless of that, the strain that that places. Those patients still have to follow all those infection control precautions the staff does. In, in taking care of those patients. So the burden is still high, even though the patients might, might not be as acutely ill. Sure. And, and as you mentioned, there are a number of patients who, who aren't being admitted because of the COVID, but they have it. Now, that may be influencing whatever their underlying condition and making that one worse. But as you say, even if we're not treating the COVID specifically, the protocols in place, the isolation measures, uh, the use of uh, personal protective equipment, the PPE we talk about, the, all takes more time and more resources and, and creates more of a challenge as well. And so taking care of a COVID patient is uh, more challenging or more resource intensive than the typical non-COVID patient. I recall back in the Delta variant times, back in August and September of last year, you visiting and sharing the point similar when there are patients, as you say, boarding in the emergency department, waiting to find an acute care room on one of the patient floors at the hospital. You touch on on the the bottleneck that creates, and, and I think the number you used to say was something like 30 to 35 ER rooms normally that you have access to. And there, I remember there was one day there was, I think, 30 of those rooms were, were filled with patients waiting to find rooms. So you're, in effect, having five available rooms to take care of your ER traffic? 
Yes, we've had even recently times when there we've only had two or three open rooms that don't have an admitted patient in them. And we may have 20 or 30 patients in the waiting room and ambulances coming. Often patients then are cared for in hallways and wherever we can. Uh, we do not close the front door of the emergency department, uh, but it does lead to challenges. It leads to longer wait times. It, it leads to the, the need to really carefully triage and people that we would normally would see and absolutely want to see in a timely manner might be delayed because somebody else needs it a little bit sooner. Certainly is frustrating for our patients, and we absolutely understand that. But also understand it's, it's very frustrating for us. We want to we want to see people quickly. We want to make it as as comfortable an experience and as positive an experience as an ER visit can be. Um, and we want to have those resources be able to. But uh, we're doing the best we can. And the staff that show up day after day after day are amazing. I was just thinking about it. That, you know, this right around this time is. is almost exactly the two-year mark, and I think everybody can look back and think it feels like more like 12 or 15 years, maybe. But, uh, you know, we've we've been doing this for two years, and, keep, and I am just uh, honored to work with my colleagues and the nursing staff who just keep coming to work and and taking care of patients. It's hard, but they're they're doing it, and I'm, and I'm amazed and, and honored to work with them. Well said, and I know this time of year you touched on uh, pre-COVID, normally this time of the year isn't that kind of the height of the flu season. So this is a traditionally sure. a time of the year where the ER and the hospital is going to be busy anyway. Yes. Interesting, because if we look back last winter, most respiratory illness that came in was COVID. We didn't see a lot of flu. We didn't see a lot of RSV or some of these other respiratory viruses. This year, we're seeing more of the mix, and not every cold and not every cough and every fever is COVID. A lot of it is, but we are seeing the mix of all that. So that just adds even more. Uh, and so, yes, it's a busy time already. We add the strains that come with this that we've already talked about and uh, the, the COVID patients in it, and it does make it challenging. But we're going to keep coming to work and we're going to keep doing it. And as we touched on uh, the way we do math with these, the cases Heather had mentioned from the health district that we're probably going to see a continued increase in the numbers of COVID cases. And if memory serves, I think uh, hospitalizations tend to uh, don't come down as fast as the numbers do. Correct. Most of the most of the numbers we see and talk about peaking are the case counts, and hospitalization naturally follows the onset of the diagnosis or the the positive test usually and what we've seen in the past is plus or minus two weeks after the peak of the case count is about the time we might see the peak of hospitalization but those hospitalizations last a while um, and deaths often are even after that so and the other message and I think it's a one it's it's optimistic when we see it start when that peak comes and it starts to fall. But I think we tend to, as we've seen in these other uh, in these other surges, once we see it start to trend down, people tend to let up and think, okay, the crisis is over. Well, it may be on its way down, but it's still very high. It's, it's going to be some time before the case count is actually quite low. It's just trending down, which is positive, but it doesn't mean we're, we're there. We need to let it get 
low before we let our guard down. And even then, I, it's going to be a while before I let my guard down at all. <laughs> well, Dr. John Matheson, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Continued success and pass along our best wishes to you and the team all throughout the Catholic system. Dr. John Matheson, the Catholic ER director, back with more right after this. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. A reminder that if you missed any part of the program, Catholic on Call is available on podcast. Just search Catholic on Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. One of the hardest hit segments of our population by COVID has been with our older friends. Early on, it was the serious rates of infection and death prior to vaccinations being available. And over the course of the past two years, isolation and concerns of depression as folks have had to be kept away from friends and loved ones. One Catholic service that has worked to be a lifeline during the pandemic is Catholic's Healthy Ages program. It's been around for decades now, and it's a free membership program expressing Catholic's regional medical center's commitment to serving the health care needs and concerns of the populations age 50 and older. And tonight we're happy to have with us uh, the Healthy Ages program manager, Kathy Manderbach, to give us a little more perspective on on that program. And I guess, Kathy, as we do with almost all of our guests, uh, how has COVID impacted the work that you do and, most importantly, the, the clients that you serve? Well, Jim, so Cadillac Healthy Ages normally, pre-COVID, had a uh, a mall walker program where people could go to the mall prior to the mall um, opening in the morning, and they had the freedom to walk from 7.30 till 9 um, amongst themselves without, you know, big, large crowds at the mall. And with COVID, um, they can still do that walking as long as they follow the rules um, of the mall. Um, but we don't have volunteers or myself stationed at the mall to collect those miles. So we've just had to be a little innovative and um, change the program up a little bit. It used to be that they would accumulate those miles uh, on mall property. But to keep the program going, we're allowing the walkers to walk anywhere. that can be on their treadmill in their home, out in the parks, in their neighborhoods, on the mountain trails, and then report those miles uh, to me uh, via email, phone. And so they do have to be a registered mall walker to receive those in- incentives. But it's it's been amazing to keep in contact with them. They've adjusted and done some pretty cool things. At the onset of COVID, I was super worried about the social aspect because many of them would go to the mall after they'd get their walk-in uh, or they would, you know, just to round up around on the tables and have their coffee and nice little conversations. And so they all, you know, kind of had their little groups where they knew each other. And so they became worried um, and started calling me 
And real quick, I mean, just within a matter of days, they had um, started like a phone tree. So on their own, not, you know, spurred by a thought from me, they just started um, having each other call to check in on the people that may be isolated and not have family members around to check in on them. So I was really impressed with how they were able to adapt to that um, culture. And I was going the to say, that, I'll go ahead. I was going to say, I'm probably going to go right into that is that normally you have these monthly programs and you still do those. Those have to be yeah. virtual, but normally that would also be a great social gathering as you'd get two or 300 people up at CUP Church on a Thursday afternoon where that fellowship and education can continue. But again, you're able to adapt with that. We are able to adapt. It's it's really immersed our um, seniors into getting much more technical <laughs> savvy, savvy because <laughs> yeah yeah because um, we are hosting those programs uh, virtually, and so each month we have a health topic or safety topic. Um, many of those are Cadillac providers that present on a health topic. And so people are able to log in from their comfort of their home and still um, get a, get educated each month. And so at the beginning, there really was a learning curve, not only for myself, but also for, for our listeners. And I'm impressed. They've come a long ways. They're able to use their devices and um, stay connected. So it's important. They may not be having coffee and cookies together, um, but they are able to to connect um, and continue to connect with me uh, at healthy ages. So, um, you know, there was a lot of unknowns and there continues to be a lot of unknowns. And so I have sensed when I've talked to some of our healthy ages members, you know, and it just makes sense that there's an increase in, in stress from, from all of the, the unknowns and the things that are happening in our world. But, um, they try to stay in touch and keep each other inspired. So I, I'm impressed with that group for sure. Another valuable part of the Healthy Ages program is the educational counseling you provide for uh, folks who are new to Medicare, the insurance program. And talk a little bit about that. I know you've been able to continue those, and, and that's been a valuable service that, that has provided free education with for people as they help uh, sign up, get, get, get acclimated in, to Medicare when they turn 65. Talk a little bit about that. Sure, sure. So prior to COVID, we would host um, uh, classes two times a month uh, where people that are um, either getting ready to retire or are aging into Medicare can come get kind of a 101 class and learn about the different parts of Medicare, learn about the how they enroll and the differences between plan and options. And well, it, it didn't take long. Once we knew we couldn't gather in crowds, I wanted to keep the program going. So I just kind of had to just keep the program going by um, experimenting and seeing what was going to work. And so since COVID, we are now uh, hosting the programs uh, virtually, um, so people can listen on the phone. I send the documents either through their mail if they don't have email or um, through email. The PowerPoint is, you know, either on their computer or they've printed it off. I let them know what page I'm on, and we just go through it just as if they were in that classroom. But if the benefit is, if it is that they're getting more of a one-on-one so we can teach to their particular circumstance. So whether it is that they're going to continue to work past that age of 65 
um, or if they are going to um, just go on Medicare when they do age into it. And the other thing I can do over the phone is continue to do the Medicare prescription comparisons. Uh, so during the annual open enrollment or when people are initially um, enrolling into Medicare, it's real important to to compare the plans to see which of them are going to cover prescriptions at the lowest cost. So we continue to try to help our um, community members save money by getting them into the plans that will cover their prescriptions at the lowest cost and finding the pharmacies that also will uh, provide additional uh, savings. And I know this program has been supported by the generosity of a, a volunteer group associated with Cali called the Auxiliary uh, helps to provide funding because this allows you to provide your services free of charge to these clients. Talk a little bit about, before we let you go, if you would, if someone wants to access your services, how do they go about doing that and, and to, access, to connect with you? Sure. They can either call Cadillac Healthy Ages at 509 509- Nine four two two seven zero zero, and they can also uh, um, join Healthy Ages by getting on logging on to the Cadillac website. Uh, so if they do a search for Healthy Ages, it'll come up, and they can um, give their contact information and become one of the many. Uh, members and that membership is free like you mentioned earlier and what that gets the members is the a copy of the community health transmitter from the community health department and postcards to invite them to the the wellness programs that we were speaking of earlier and an invite to the annual which now is a virtual holiday party well hopefully next year this coming year in 2022 or at least the next holiday season uh, we can gather in person because I've gotten to go to that many years. It is a uh, can't-miss event for the 50-plus population in this community. Kathy, thanks so much for the great work that you do and the team that you work with. I know uh, the volunteers that, that participate are a big help to you, and certainly the client base really appreciates having the services available. Cadillac Healthy Ages, if you'd like to join, call 509-942-2700 or visit org and just search for the Healthy Ages program. Back with our remaining minutes of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610-KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Again, our thanks to Kathy Manderbach, the manager of the Cadillac Healthy Ages program, which is part of a very robust community health programs within the Catholic system. And we're happy to welcome to our program tonight to give a quick review of, of what's available is Karen Hayes, who is the manager of Community Health Investment. And and Karen, a little bit, uh, Healthy Ages is just one of the many important services that the community health programs uh, offer within Catholic. Maybe give our listeners a quick overview of some of the key ones that you'd like to highlight tonight. Absolutely. Thank you, Jim, for the opportunity. You're welcome. Uh, I would like to highlight our library, which is open from 9 to 2, Monday through Friday, and it's located at Catholic Healthplex, which is 1268 Lee Boulevard in Richland. And our library has a wide array of resources on neurological disorders, um, such as Alzheimer's, um, Parkinson's, 
Uh, it has resources on depression and caregiving, um, and uh, you can check those materials out at no charge. And also our community resource desk is there. And so if people um, are in need of connecting with resources for, say, housing or food assistance or uh, utilities, we have people that are trained at the library that can help connect you to those community resources as well. And then we have our support group, and those are still being held virtually, as um, probably Ken guessed before that. They were held before COVID. They were held in person, but now they are virtual. And uh, they still provide the opportunity for connection and support and education. And I'll just list a few of the, of the support groups that we are offering we have a multiple sclerosis support group, traumatic brain injury. We have a pulmonary support group, a chronic pain support group. And we have a support group um, for caregivers that can be extremely beneficial, especially during this time when, when people are home caregiving for a loved one. Um, so being able to participate in those support groups is very vital for them. And if you would, I know there. Uh, I was going to say you touched on on those support groups that are just amazing, and 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 I, as you touched on, I'm guessing their their importance in a virtual setting is just as important, given some of the isolation uh, that that has been forced upon folks just to to be safe from COVID. But I know there's there's a fair amount of work that you and the team have done over the past years and continue to do in the area of suicide prevention and mental health. I, talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yes, we have. When we um, expanded to community health, we began to offer programs on mental health and suicide awareness and prevention, which are definitely needed now more than ever. And we offer programs on mental health first aid. And we and for adults and for youth, and that's a collaboration with the Educational Service District 123. And we also have a suicide prevention training called QPR, which is Question, Persuade, Refer. And one of our team members, Courtney Armstrong, uh, does presentations on QPR, and she is very willing and eager to to offer that to community groups and companies in our community that would like to have some suicide awareness and prevention, and that can be tailored to their own demographic. So if there's anybody interested in that at all, um, do, do let us know, and I'll give you the number for that. It would be 509-943-8455. And, and you touch on that that. QPR as the idea just uh, put out some very important uh, signs that that folks should should be aware of uh, not only primarily uh, for others but even for themselves but the idea is that you're intending to reach out into the community whether it's church groups or businesses or uh, whatever audience would would like to receive this training Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it provides education on recognizing early warning signs of mental health issues that can be critical to addressing suicide. 
and recognizing those warning signs and really to help uh, give people the confidence uh, to address those warning signs and to talk with the person uh, for which you have concern. And if you would... Sometimes that can be a little bit intimidating. I'm so sure. This QPR really helps with that. I'm sure. And, and I know there's, there's uh, all kinds of other opportunities that, that people can, can learn about. And certainly as we hopefully come out of COVID to expand those even to continue where they're in person. But but if you would, just uh, maybe a, a summary comment on, on why it is so important for Catholic to provide this services. Because as you touched on, it's not just uh, helping people that come into the emergency room, treat them for COVID or, you know, help them deliver a baby and those kinds of things. There's a, there's a whole broader role that a healthcare organization plays in a community. Right. We need to be treating um, and providing care for the whole person. And so that's just not physical health. It's also mental and emotional health. And that's what we're striving to do with our community education programs, to provide well-rounded education. And that does include mental health. And I, I, before I let you go, I want to thank you and your team for these services. And again, if you'd like to access uh, the, the program that Karen was referencing on QPR or anything else related to community health, call 943-8455 with the area code 509-943-8455. Thanks, Karen, for taking the time. I want to conclude with a plug. All of these services are provided essentially free of charge. And if you would like to support the work that Karen and her team do, the Healthy Ages program, or anything related to community health, these services are provided free of service in most cases uh, to members of our community. You can do that through the work of the Catholic Foundation. And if you'd like to go online and make a contribution in support of community health initiatives at Catholic, go to catholic.org slash foundation, and there's online ability to to uh, make those contributions as well. And there that that fund that funding is vitally important to continue to be able to provide these services to all of us here in the Tri Cities area. Thanks to Karen, thanks to Kathy, thanks to Heather, thanks to Dr. John Matheson, and thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week.